From the liquid metal core of the T-1000, it's the IGN DigiGuys. Now, here are two men who refuse to travel back to the past to save humanity because they didn't want to show their naked bums, Wade Major and Mark Kaiser. I find it absolutely hysterically awesome that uh, Siri, because I, I have a, I have an iPhone 5S now, finally. I finally got on board with the iPhone thing. Android, done with it, finished it, changed really? it. Really? Yeah, wait, 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 wait. You didn't tell me that. I didn't tell you when that? When did that happen? It just got, well, first of all, we had to switch it up, get a family plan with T-Mobile and do the whole thing, right? Because like, it's cheaper all of a sudden. Like the, What I was paying and what she was paying and the, with the crappy phones, it, just, it was more expensive than getting a family plan. So we did with T-Mobile, did a whole thing, iPhones. It was great, saving money. Better phone, saving money. It's a whole great thing. And so now I'm, I'm doing the Siri deal, right? So I, I'm Siri. Navigate to Mark Kaiser. And Siri, uh, for some reason, has decided that your name is Mark Geezer. First of all, why would you say navigate to Mark Kaiser when you've been coming here for like seven years? Just to see, you know, why not? Well, no, I, I've heard our, our good friend Phil Klein. Yes. He makes fun of me because he says that whenever he says, you know, dial Mark's cell. Yeah. He says, Mark Geezer. It's great. No, it's not. It's awesome. By the way, you emailed me. Uh, this has nothing to do with movies, but yeah. you emailed me today from the cloud, some Wade cloud thing. Well, it's a, it's a, yeah, it's, it's an iCloud app. I don't get it. I don't get it. iCloud is great. It syncs everything. You realize what's going to happen. Somebody's going to like bust into the cloud and download all your uh, you know, photos of your daughter and crap that you have. And by the way, I have to make up for the coconut ice cream that I made a couple weeks ago that mm-hmm. was so terrible. Okay. I have better coconut ice cream, Wade. You do that. Do you want some of this coconut Let's ice cream? Let's do the coconut ice cream. And, and, and to start off with, I'm going to actually blow through a bunch of Warner Archive titles that uh, we have kind of a backlogged a little bit. So Mark's doing that. You know what? Warner Archive uh, keeps doing great stuff on and on and on. Uh, TV shows, old movies, the whole thing. It's all uh, manufacturer on demand, M-O-D. And uh, that means they are DVD-Rs. They are occasionally Blu-rays, but uh, you have to order them. You have to go to uh, WarnerArchive.com. Oh, right, Wade you. is going to eat the cookie. Now, hang on a second. Now, a couple weeks ago, I made coconut ice cream that Wade said tasted like spackle. Yeah. So I decided to make it. so nasty. I know it was. I, I threw it out. But, but you see, and, and that's unfortunate because when I got home, there was like a chip in the drywall, and I was like, crap. <laughs> Should have brought it home. <laughs> How dare you. So this is uh, new coconut ice cream from okay. another recipe. Okay. You better like this. Or maybe not. Well, it's nice. Very nice. Thank you. That's very nice. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now, by the way, on next... Do I get to eat all of this? Do you want all of it? I don't know. If you Maybe. want all of it, you can have it. All right. Well, I mean, don't just... We're doing a show. Don't eat... You can eat it while oh. I'm talking. Oh, okay. Now, by well, the way, for next week's show, mm. I can already tease... Now, okay, do you like that? Yes or no? Be honest. Yeah, it's good. Okay, good. Yeah, it's good. Better than good. the other one, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, better than the other one. <laughs> I got this recipe from the Williams Sonoma site. Now, Williams Sonoma, which is the uh, uh, cook- cookware uh, store, they have recipes on the website. Always very fattening recipes because uh, they obviously don't care, but very good. Next week, I'm going to tease for you guys the ice cream I'll be giving Wade. Wade? Yeah. Ne- next week's show? Yep. Tiramisu ice cream. Oh, nice. I'm going to make it. Okay. And it's going to be good. Very good. Go. Talk All right. Marine this. Boy, the complete second season, three discs, 26 episodes from Warner Archive. You can go to warnerarchive.com for more information. Um, and, and this is basically the um, that era when a lot of American animated shows were adapting anime, doing their own style of anime, re-editing anime. Anyway, um, is, it, is it Aquaman? No, not in the least. But you know what? It's pretty cool. Uh, it's it's got a kind of speed racer vibe to it. Buster Keaton in Free and Easy. 
uh, a double feature that also includes uh, Estrellagos, the Spanish language version of Free and Easy, uh, also from Warner Archive. This is, uh, it, it's, you know, this is one of those movies, this is not included in any other Buster Keaton collection, by the way, um, because it is, uh, it's a talkie. It's not, and it's, you know, when, when Keaton got into sound movies, it was uh, kind of a sad moment, because he wasn't really directing them. He, this is directed by Edward Sedgwick, and they did a version in Spanish, and it's, uh, it's really a, a bizarre misfire, but if you're a Buster Keaton completist, you definitely want to check it out. Uh, we've got uh, Doris Day and Danny Thomas in I'll See You in My Dreams, uh, another, you know, bizarre kind of... Uh, musical uh, biopic backstage uh, thing that just doesn't really work at all but it's uh, it's still it's like it's it's from that classic Hollywood era and it's got this whole uh, you know strange misfired vibe to it and you watch it and you just you think Doris Day and Danny Thomas who thought that one up every time I look at Danny Thomas you know what I think of Danny Thomas that girl Danny I can't, Thomas. I, can't, I can't help it. It's, you know, Marlo Thomas is the only thing that I associate with Danny Thomas. He's kind of forgotten now. It's like Danny yeah, Kay. I know. By so. the way, uh, wait, before you go on, yes. I have two words for you. What? Harold Ramis. Oh, man. Seriously. I it's know. like, th- th- this has been so devastating. Going all the way back, it was freaking, you know, it was Peter O'Toole and... and uh, and Joan Fontaine. Sid Caesar. And Sid Caesar. And it's, it's just been endless. Philip Seymour Hoffman. I mean, it really, it's just been, un- like, the last three months have been a cascade of death in Hollywood. It's like the, the Grim Reaper just came to Hollywood Boulevard and started slashing. Well, It's uh, unreal. Ramus was 69. I was surprised he was that old. Well, he had an autoimmune disease. I know. That's so, so tragic. So he was so allergic tragic. to cars? Exactly. By the way, okay, I'm taking yeah. uh, best uh, uh, Ramis film go. If you had to, if not that not that our fans haven't seen every one 16 times, but let's just say best Ramis film. Yeah, Please. whether he wrote wrote director or starred, it doesn't that, matter. There is no question. It, it Ghostbusters. Really? That's it, man. I know a lot of people. For a lot of people, it's Stripes. But but I'm, no, but, but see, Stripes peters out in the last 20 minutes. I know. Hilarious for an hour, then the last half hour. Ghostbusters is one of the greatest comedy scripts ever written. And then at the last rectification of the Voldrani, the Destructor came as a giant slur. Many people felt the wrath of the Destructor that day, I can tell you. I mean, come on. How do you, you know, it's just like, that's brilliant stuff. It's great. You know, dogs and cats living together. And all that stuff is scripted. Bill Murray wasn't, wasn't ad-libbing a lot of that stuff. Is that right? No, that's, that's a, I mean, there are a couple of ad-libs in there, but most of that wacky stuff, all that gibberishy, you know, high-tech mumbo-jumbo, ectoplasmic goober, gobbledygook, that's all Aykroyd and Ramus, man. <laughs> That is good stuff. Uh, you know what? Norma Shearer has a huge following among a lot of people. Just a great classic, uh, nor- you know, vi- old Hollywood actress. And she made a couple of films with Frederick March. Uh, one that also included Leslie Howard. The other one with Charles Lawton. And the, uh, the one with Leslie Howard is Smiling Through. The one with Charles Lawton is The Barretts of Wimpole Street. You ever been to Wimpole Street? I have not. Oh, dude. It's one of the greatest places in London. You've got to go check out Wimpole. It's mentioned also in uh, My Fair Lady. You know, because that's where Alfie Doolittle lives. He lives on Wimpole Street. Uh, anyway, this was uh, with the Wimpole Street. Uh, the Barretts of Wimpole Street is just a, an absolutely wonderful uh, period film. It was a big, big hit in 1934 and uh, based on a play by a guy named Rudolf Bézier, or Bessier. And uh, you're really watching this just because uh, it's, you know, you, you just want to watch Norma Shearer play uh, Elizabeth Barrett Browning. That's it. 
Uh, and uh, Frederick March plays Robert Browning. And, you know, that's just one of the great uh, kind of classic love stories of all time. Uh, Smiling Through is a little uh, a little less interesting. It's, uh, you know, uh, got a whole World War I melodrama working. But it's, uh, you know, from, also in the early 30s, barely pre-code. Also, really quickly, uh, Glenn Ford and Geraldine uh, Page in Dear Heart, which uh, is really only memorable because of the title song. Uh, Glenn Ford, kind of a dull actress, i got to say. The, the, the older I get, the less impressed I am. Uh, Angela Lansbury also briefly shows up there. Uh, Bill Elliott, Detective Mysteries, is a collection of five films from this uh, detective series that was sort of noirish. Uh, you know, it, it, it was a little bit of a strange recasting of, uh, of a guy who was basically known for westerns. But, uh, you know, if you know the series, it's probably interesting. Also, another series are the Dr. Kildare movies, nine films on five DVDs. And uh, Dr. Kildare has become since kind of a joke. You know, it's a little bit like uh, Marcus Welby, right? He's, it's, the, it's the whole melodrama of the doctor who can do anything. Oh, my gosh, doctor, he's dying. His leg came off. I can fix it. So, Dr. Kildare, he can do anything. And then the uh, Monogram Cowboy Collection, Volume 7. Uh, the Monogram Cowboy movies were basically serials. They just came out and they cranked these things out. It's like there, there are hardly any, ever any edits in them. They're as raw as can be. You know, it's just like let's dress some people up in cowboy outfits and talk about shooting them up and shoot it with one camera. And well, we they, can... they, they crank those things out by the millions. Oh, the programmers were unbelievable. And then similar to that is Kirby Grant and Chinook, an adventure triple feature. This is the second volume of these, The Wolf Hunters, Snow Dog, Call of the Klondike. <laughs> Uh, you know, he, he, look, he's a, he's a Mountie, and um, he's got his dog, and they, they're always out rescuing people and doing whatever. The, uh, nothing particularly remarkable here, unless, again, you are a fan of the series, which is very, very vintage. And then lastly, I think this is awesome. Um, this is long overdue. This is why Warner Archive exists, is for stuff like this. Fibber, Fibber McGee and Molly were a huge deal. Aww. Right? Right? Fibber McGee and Molly. They were a big, big deal on, uh, on, on radio. They were one of the great radio shows along with, you know, George and Gracie and, and all that. And uh, you've got a couple of Fibber McGee and Molly movies, which a lot of people don't realize existed. They made a couple of movies here. Uh, here We Go Again and Heavenly Days, which is really just taking their shtick into the movies. But there's some, uh, some really, really great uh, sporting performances here, especially in Here We Go Again, which includes Edgar Bergen and Charlie McCarthy, another uh, pair who were... Obviously, well, one guy basically and his dummy, who were another uh, big radio sensation, and of course Edgar Bergen is Candace Bergen's dad, one mm-hmm. of the great ventriloquists of all time, because he actually made ventriloquism work on the freaking radio. That is impressive. See, that's the thing. Nobody is like, why would anyone listen to a ventriloquist on the radio? Because the material is hilarious. It's uh, who cares if, the, if you see lips move? It's like it wasn't about that. It was about the characters, and it just the, the, that Charlie McCarthy stuff and Edgar and Mortimer Snurd and Edgar Bergen. It's just hilarious. It's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Why are you, why are you making me talk about this? No, no, those are mine. That's all yours. Yeah, I know. Thank Come you. All costy fan two D that kind of stuff. I did not. I did not mean to. Uh, but the Secret Policeman's uh, Ball USA is kind of funny. Yeah. So move on to it, Edward Mark. Tell us. Tell us. Um, why we should care? Well, there's a uh, you guys. You remember the old uh, Secret Policeman's Other Ball? Yes. Very famous concert. Yes. Uh, now there's been a series of concerts since not a series, kind of a a couple of concerts since uh, from Amnesty International. This is the Secret Policeman's Ball USA. This was a show at Radio City Music Hall uh, a couple years ago, and it features uh, Kristen Wiig and Jason Sudeikis and Mumford and Sons and Coldplay, and just a big old crazy time at the musical Mumford comedy. and Sons. Didn't they win uh, the Stanley Cup? Huh. Mumford and Sons? What does that mean? The, the beards and the whole... Never mind. 
That's great. Um, anyway, what I'm saying is, so, uh, but it's funny. Look, it's got John Stewart. It's got, it, look, if you don't like uh, one comic, if you wait about seven minutes, another comic will come on. Mm-hmm. So the Secret Policeman's Ball USA is funny stuff. It's a great look. It's almost like a old style variety show, actually. Uh, so you got to check that out. Also, we have um, now mm. Chet Baker. Chet Baker, so forgotten, right? Chet Baker was a brilliant trumpet player who had a rather tragic life. And he is the subject of a couple of DVDs that are out right now. One is called, um, actually just went, wait, I'm looking at the wrong thing. Uh, One's called Let's Get Lost, starring Chet Baker, which is a film by Bruce Weber. And uh, it's great. It was actually nominated for an Oscar. And you kind of travel with Chet Baker, and they use, uh, um, what's his name, Weber's very, you like that? Done. Did you like it? Ew. Done. Next week you get tiramisu ice cream. Awesome. Anyway, there's rare performance footage and some interviews with uh, with Baker and also uh, you know a bunch of his ex wives. That guy got around, but he had a rather tragic life and Man. and just but he's just so brilliant. Like a lot of musicians, they're brilliant and they're troubled, and that's why they're brilliant. So there's Let's Get Lost, which is just totally kind of a classic. Again, Oscar nominated, and then um, with that comes the Bruce Weber film collection. Now, if you like Bruce Weber. You will get Let's Get Lost in this Bruce Weber film collection. Four discs. This is DVDs, not Blu-rays. Hmm. That includes Let's Get Lost, but also Broken Noses, A Letter to True, and uh, Chop Suey. The best of that is still Let's Get Lost uh, from 1988. The other ones are, are okay. But um, but again, if you're a fan of like kind of really interesting, almost uh, very Dust Bowl-looking black-and-white kind of documentary filmmaking... Uh, you got to get into Bruce Weber. He's pretty cool. All right. Rock on. Uh, so we've got a few things here from the Naxos people, who, of course, do a lot of great classical music releases, and they have a lot of you know, sub-labels that they distribute. Uh, a couple of interesting things here are from this Musical Journey series that Naxos releases, which is it, it, you know, it's just pastoral stuff. You put it on the TV, on the widescreen, and you, you get to tour all these lovely places in Europe, and there's nice classical music playing in the background. It's not like something you sit down and watch. You just put it to create a mood in the house or during a party or something. Uh, Finland, Helsinki, and the art of Akseli Galen Kalela is, uh, is this just wonderful little travelogue of Finland and great artwork. And you go through these various museums in Helsinki, and you listen to the music of, of course, you know, Sibelius, the great Finnish composer who wrote Finlandia and lots of other great works. And uh, this is great. Uh, Finland, apart from the fact that they just beat the United States and denied us a, uh, a, a mm. medal in, in hockey. Whatever. Uh, in the bronze medal game. Whatever. Uh, Finland's a beautiful place. Really. I, I just, I'm just dying to go to Helsinki. I really am. Go yeah. to hell, just fantastic. Sankey. And then Gardens and Parks of Europe, which in, is just, is, it, it'll, it'll make you want to just jump, jump on a plane and go to all these amazing parks. They're, they have parks in you know, France and Italy and Finland and England and uh, Germany and Czech Republic and Ukraine, which hopefully hasn't been burned to the ground yet, and Austria, everywhere. It's just all over the place. Beautiful, beautiful parks, and, and uh, some of them private, some of them public. But it's just fantastic, gorgeous stuff. And uh, the music of Beethoven, Chopin, Handel, Tchaikovsky, Bizet, Brahms, and many others. It is a wonderful, wonderful thing to just throw on the TV and make you feel good during the day. And then also from Naxos, a bunch of Blu-rays. Operas and other things worth checking out. A new uh, performance of Aida by Verdi. 
this is a, uh, a, a standard Blu-ray with a 3D Blu-ray. This was performed at the Arena di Verona in Italy uh, outdoors, which is quite remarkable. And um, it, like some of the, 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 just the, it's like an old amphitheater that's just decked out. It's really impressive. And Aida is very gaudy, if you haven't you've ever seen it performed. So this is a great Blu-ray. I don't necessarily think the 3D is a, is a big deal, but, you know, whatever. Uh, and then another performance of Mozart's Cosi Fan Tutte. I am actually a huge fan of a film that uh, the Weinsteins released through Miramax years ago, an Australian film called Cosi. Did you ever see that? I did, actually. B- about the, the mental hospital, yeah. the mental patients who perform Cosi Fan Tutte? Yep. That's when I fell in love with Cosi Fan Tutte. I'm like, th- if this thing is even remotely as entertaining as what these, what these loon balls are doing in this movie with Tony Collette, um, i got to check it out. Uh, this is not quite that, but it's pretty loony because it is staged by, are you ready for this? Steve, Mel, Jimmy, Jack, Joe, Jeff, John, George. Michael Haneke. Oh, my God. Yep. Uh, and this was done at, the, at a theater in Madrid. Uh, pretty wild, I got to tell you. It's, it's, a, it's a kind of revisionist, and it's kind of insane. Not quite as entertaining as the movie, but it's pretty insane. And then Puccini's La Boheme. Uh, always wonderful, always amazing music. This is from uh, Accentus Music. And uh, this was done in, uh, in, in uh, Valencia, I believe. And then real quickly, just wrapping them out, we also have uh, Verdi's Mesa de Requiem, uh, directed by Gustavo Dudamel from the L.A. Philharmonic, who has been getting in trouble a little bit. This is a performance at the uh, Hollywood Bowl. And, you know, Dudamel is a little bit in trouble because he went down and performed for the, uh, the bus driver president of Venezuela who's slaughtering people now. And everybody's like, what the hell are you doing? And he's what like, the hell I'm, is he doing doing it. It. I'm doing it because, well, he came through this orchestra system for kids in Venezuela. He's not Venezuelan, but he was part of this this like kind of farm system where they bring kids into this professional orchestra and they train them and so forth. And so he goes down and conducts that orchestra every once in a while because it's for the kids, you know. And and you know, it's, that's, he's he's like, hey man, I'm an artist, I'm not a politician. So he's still getting a little bit in trouble. And then uh, performed at the Teatro a la Scala was uh, Die Valkyrie, which is the Richard Wagner's uh, the Valkyrie uh, Ring of the Nibelungen. Uh, always bombastic, always gaudy, and this is a fairly routine performance of it. Uh, didn't watch it all the way through. I've seen this thing on stage, and it, it can be a little bit of a, an ordeal, but this is a very... The music is great, of course, because it's conducted by Daniel Barenboim, uh, who is... Barenboim? Old, Barenboim. Barenboim. You remember Barenboim? You, you saw uh, Hillary and Jackie? Yes, I did. Barenboim's a character in that, because he married... You know, oh, he married yeah. Jackie. Forget no it. You have no idea. No idea. Part. Zero. All right, fine. Be that way. Uh, I'm going to talk about just a few old movies really quickly too. Uh, VCI has VCI has released a bunch of stuff, as they often do from the Rank Collection. The Rank Collection is something that they're contracted with. The all the Rank films from the UK back in the day, and uh, we've got Leslie Banks, Alistair Sim, and John Mills in Cottage to Let which is a, a, a pretty standard war melodrama. He's a soldier, she's a nurse. You can fill in the blanks. Um, the Spanish Gardener is interesting only because it has Dirk Bogart in it. Uh, this is based on a novel I never heard of, and it's a pretty uninspiring movie, nicely photographed. Um, but, uh, you know, anytime you've got Dirk Bogart in a movie, it just it, it, it hums. Uh, Dirk Bogard and uh, Kathleen Ryan in Esther Waters is slightly less interesting because it's a period film. Dirk Bogard's not really a great guy in period films, but he still makes this more interesting. It takes a little before the turn of the century. Uh, he's, it's still interesting on, uh, you know, just because he's in it. And then lastly, uh, John Lodge and Margaret Lockwood in Bank Holiday, which is... Um, 
I'm still not quite sure how I feel about this. Uh, it's, you know, it's from the late 30s. It feels like a late 30s British melodrama. Um, feels a little hokey, but it's got a little bit of style to it. And uh, I'm willing to, you know, kind of benefit of the doubt and, and maybe watch it again. It's an early film by Carol Reed. And, you know, you, you feel the, the third man style kind of evolving, but it's very much one of, like, like some of those early Hitchcock programmers, a little bit where you, you're like, okay, it's a job for hire. He's just kind of going through the paces. So it's not the Carol Reed we would eventually know who would do, you know, the third man and eventually Oliver. But you, you see the style evolving a little bit. So it's worth watching, I guess, for that, even if it's not a great film. He has a girl's name. Yeah, well, you know. Uh, wait, the year is 1981. And George yes. Romero, he's not coming out with another uh, Living Dead film. Oh, no. He's coming out with Night Riders. <laughs> now, here's the thing with Night Riders. Night Riders is awesome. It's about the car, right? The car, no. the, the, the robot, the car with, no. The, with the... No. No, that is not. That is Night Rider. This is Night Riders, one word. Oh. I got to tell you something. It's awesome. Yeah. So get this. Wait. Yeah. There's a traveling renaissance fair. Mm-hmm. Right? They, they do jousting. Right. You know, they, they get dressed up in armor. Sure. There's like knights and queens and, and right. crowns and everything like queens? that. Queens? Whatever it is. Drag queens? Get this. Here's the oh. thing, though, Wade. What? Instead of horses, yeah. motorcycles. Oh, yeah. And that's why it's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Battle axes and maces and, and crazy. And Ed Harris. And Ed Harris. He's good. He's, he's so intense. <laughs> that, that guy does not have one drop of humor in his entire uh, over. No. But um, no, it, uh, Night Riders is completely ridiculously cheesy 80s fun. I think it's great. I mean, it's, I mean, is it ultimately a good movie? Of course not. But it's awesome. It's a bad movie, and yet yeah. it's also a great movie at the same time. What yeah. are the odds? Anyway, so Night Riders, you've got to totally check that out. Um, we have from Grindhouse, and Grindhouse, they, they do come up with some good stuff. They have yeah. a thing called uh, The Big Gun Down. This is with Lee Van Cleef and Tomas Millian. And uh, it's four discs, believe it or not, because it's got the collector's edition of the movie, two Blu-rays, a DVD, and the soundtrack. Now, this is just a classic Italian spaghetti western. You know them from uh, you know the Sergio Leone films. This, of course, is not as good as that, but it is definitely pretty noted i mean it's written by the same guy who wrote once upon a time in the west which is like my total favorite and it's also got a score by Ennio morcone who did like a thousand of those scores yeah um the special edition continues uh, contains 15 extra minutes that this movie's long enough i don't know that it needed 15 more minutes but um it's good i mean if you've already used up your your you know your once upon a time in the west and your your man with no name trilogy blu-rays you can check out um the big gun down it's pretty good um, so there you go. And it's got Lee Van Cleef, who would later go on to greater glory in Escape from New York. Oh, man, he's so good in that. Lee Van Cleef is one of those actors that I just miss, you know? Like, like he's James, like his old school tough he's guys. He's like James Coburn and, uh, you know, um, who's another one of those guys? Um, Lee Marvin, right? Lee Marvin, sure. Right, you know, it's just they, they're just tough guys. And they just play tough guys. And you forget how good they really are as actors because they make it look so easy. And yeah, you're never going to see Lee Van Cleef playing, you know, like a, a, a romantic lead. He's never going to play, you know, uh, like, like a, a British dandy. He's never going to play Gandhi. He, he, he just is what he is, but he's great at it, man. He's just great at it. Uh, we got some, some great cheese here before we, uh, we jump into some, uh, some real movies. Mother Riley Meets the Vampire with Bella Lugosi. Mark? You ever seen this? I have not. This is one of those campy, culty... It's like Bela Lugosi made two or three real movies, and then he made like a, like two dozen just laugh... I mean, he just made fun of himself then for the remainder of his career because he was, he was an opium addict. 
Uh, man, I'll tell you, it, it, this is just really, really bizarre. The whole thing makes absolutely no sense. It's uh, it's a, it's maybe the strangest mad scientist movie ever, and it just winds up becoming this bizarre comedy at a certain point. I'm not sure it was supposed to be comedic, but anyway. Uh, if you want to see a movie with Bela Lugosi trying to take over the world with an army of robots, this will, this will, boy, that'll scratch the itch. Uh, some other interesting horror films here that are uh, very campy, and I would recommend all of them as long as you don't take them too seriously. Unidentified is about, boy, this is a, this is a cheap film. It's about a bunch of guys who uh, go to Vegas. They, uh, you know, wind up uh, trying to avoid a loan shark, and then they get, they're stuck in the middle of the desert, and there's, like, some kind of weird alien monster creature stalking them. Makes absolutely no sense. True story. But obviously somebody had the chance to go out into the, into the desert without a, a shooting permit and, uh, and, and make a movie, and that's exactly what they did. From the uh, from Accelerator Media, that's X L R A T O R. Accelerator, who does a lot of genre stuff, they have a line called the Macabre Line, and uh, they're trying to make us interested in Banshee Chapter by saying from the producers of Margin Call, as though anyone who liked Margin Call will get anywhere near this movie. Uh, essentially, it's about a um, uh, a government uh, ex- a, like a top secret CIA uh, experiment. Thing that's going on, and this woman, uh, her buddy goes missing. So she's trying to uh, figure out what's uh, you know what's behind it all. And you know you you crack open this horrible government project that's just completely horrific and uh, winds up being a little bit ridiculous. But they claim that this is actually based on real documents. Yeah. And then Mark, this is the crowning achievement this week. I want you to read the title of this movie, to everybody. Stonados? <laughs> oh, so it's a tornado that throws stones around or something? It's, it's, this, is the, this is what we get now in the wake of Sharknado, uh, for which, for which I, I still need to call our friend David Latt and, and, and curse him out on the phone for, for doing that. Um, Stonados, basically, uh, here's the idea that I guess somehow related to uh, global warming or who knows what, but a bunch of twisters start showing up. And they aren't just any old twisters. They're twisters that are throwing around giant boulders. But that's not all, Mark. No? The giant boulders, when yes. they hit things, mm-hmm. they explode. What? The only thing that's missing is that they explode into snakes. Documentary? Yeah, exactly. Uh, cheesy, cheesy effects, but actually a shocking amount of fun all the way through. Yes, right, Mark, Wade. let's talk about real movies. Real movies, well, uh... And this is Oscar week. This is Oscar week. Oscars are coming up. I want you right now, before we talk about this, before we get into this, give me your best picture. Best picture. What should win or what will win? Both. Oh, my God. What? Both. It's just not that kind of a year. I know it's not, but... uh, I guess I'm going to have to say 12 Years a Slave. Will win? Yes. What should win? I, I loved her. You know, I, I love I love her as well, but I, I I think Twelve Years a Slave will win. I think it sort of deserves to win. I mean, I love her. I also love Nebraska. Uh, I, as you know, I do love American Hustle, even though you can't stand it. I uh, no, not that I can't stand it. You just think it's. A I mess. have a feeling if I saw it again, yeah, I would enjoy it more for what it is. Yeah. I just don't think it's anything more than just a collection of funny moments. It, but it's but they're very funny yeah, moments. Yeah, so I mean, sure. come on, the microwave scene that is outrageously funny. 
It's, and it's all because of Jennifer Lawrence doing that, you know, uh, that like Jersey Shore shtick that she does. It, it, it's shtick. The whole thing is shtick. <laughs> of course it is. Okay, you can, shtick is not best picture material. Shtick is shtick. I know it is. I know. Stop that. Okay. Well, anyway. I, I, this, whole, this whole like David O. Russell mid-career resurgence, I'm not buying any of it. Yeah. At all. He's become actually the first director in history to direct back-to-back casts to four to nominations in all four categories. God. No one has ever done that before. Why is Jonah Hill up for another Oscar? You know what? This was really funny when we did our uh, our Film Week thing at the Egyptian Theater. Which, uh, if you're a subscriber to the Film Week podcast, you can hear when it uh, when it goes live this Friday. Um, it, the uh, Alinda, you know, who's on the who's on the uh, the rotation now, Alinda Wheat, uh, one of our colleagues who writes for People. Um, she said something that really cracked me up. She says, do you realize we now live in a world where we say Jonah Hill, two-time Oscar nominee? <laughs> I know. But the second one, did he really deserve the second one? Uh, no, but see, here's the thing. Tim said something funny on the show, too. I'll give you a little preview. He's like, you know, Matthew McConaughey got skinny and uh, Christian Bale got fat. They cancel each other out. And, and I was thinking, you know, along the same lines, really... Once we get into the supporting actor category, it's it, it sort of uh, Bradley Cooper's hair and Jonah Hill's teeth. They cancel each other out because it's the only reason they got nominated. I know. Bradley Cooper's hair and Jonah Hill's teeth. Without the teeth, Jonah Hill ain't nominated. Without the hair, Bradley Cooper's not nominated. So, anyway. Oh, wait. Well, here's a movie that probably will not win. But it will win Best Director. Oh, and Best Cinematography. If this doesn't win Best Cinematography, it should also win Best Score. I think, I think Gravity's score that's, was that's, amazing. That, it probably will, but I think that's a, that's a taller hill to climb. But still, it's uh, Cinematography, Emmanuel, is finally going to get it. And I'm so happy for him. I Come am on. so freaking happy. Uh, the thing with Gravity is that um, you know when, when I saw Gravity... Uh, 3D IMAX I was pinned to my seat like a, 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 with a sense of awe like no film since Close Encounters yep um, in on, in a uh, home theater environment it's a little bit of a different story uh, it's obviously most people will not be watching this on uh, Blu-ray 3D which this is available on yep. most people just watch on regular Blu-ray um, so that being said is it a good movie does it hold up I think it does mainly because the movie has really no story or has no convincing mm-hmm. story. Right. In fact, I, I think I would have liked this movie better. And by the way, Gravity is, it's mag- I mean, technically it's magnificent. Yeah. Very few films in my lifetime have provided this sense of awe as this film has. So it is in, unimpeachable. Yeah. I wish this film had the cojones of the Robert Redford film All Is Lost. All Is Lost didn't even try to tell a story. Here's a guy in a boat the end. Mm-hmm. Not any dialogue. Yeah, this one feels as if it has to get you invested into Sandra Bullock's plight with the kid who died and where she lived, and I don't really care. You know, uh, the, the the interesting contrast between those two for me, and we're not going to talk about All Is Lost yet because it's not out this week. But I want uh, this. You give me this. You got it. Yeah, you love that movie. Um, the uh, the Gravity is an is an awe inspiring technical achievement. The story, whatever, it's very it's not bad, but it's something I've seen a million times before, and it's not like I don't know how the movie's going to end. And I know there are people that are reading the end. Well, maybe she's really dying, and she's on the it, it, I whatever. Your existential endings are fine, maybe for two thousand one, but here it looks like she lands and she walks away, and she's fine. And I'm I'm going to take them at face value. I'm not going to overanalyze it. But the interesting thing to me with those two films, which are both lifeboat movies, if we put that in quotes as a genre, um, Gravity is about a woman who uh, finally makes her way back to Earth thanks to the Chinese craft. 
The Chinese saved the day. Yay, China. Thank goodness, because the Russians screwed everything up with their stupid explosion, and the Americans are too technically inept. But God bless China. It's like, clearly, they're sitting there, and they're like, we, this movie's got to play in China, because we've got to make our money back. All is Lost begins with what? With uh, the boat being uh, faintly damaged by a gigantic container. That fell off a Chinese shipping container. Chinese shipping container. That's spilling out shoes. Yes. Okay. Which is like the most glaring, obvious metaphor in the world. It basically says uh, we're all being sunk by China's cheap manufacturing. I mean, that's, that's like the opening metaphor of the movie. And then from there on out, J.C. Chandor just has a hell of a time directing the movie and doing things without CGI that this movie is loaded with CGI. So, I mean, on that level, I think All is Lost is a more interesting film. Also, you don't have all this narration and voiceover and, and the talking to the radio and to Clooney and all that kind of stuff. You, you have Robert Redford basically just alone saying nothing yeah. and, and acting with his eyes. By the way. Really remarkable. Should I, he, he should have been nominated, I know. Yes. Uh, by the way, I yes. noticed that you take endings at face value now because we had a conversation about the ending of All is Lost. Yeah. Where I, I, I think one thing happened, but you think another thing happened. You, look, unless the filmmakers make it very apparent to me that you're supposed to be a little bit ambiguous with how it, how it all shakes out, I, I'm just going to accept it. I'm not going to try to read something else into it. Uh, you know, for example, Mulholland Drive, that thing is all over the map. You know, yes, that is supposed to be ambiguous like mad. So is 2001. So are, you know, I mean, another movie we're going to talk about here in a little bit, uh, you know, Mr. Nobody. A lot of weird, ambiguous stuff in that, too. But, you know, whatever. Um, on to another movie. Are we done with Gravity? Is that, is that oh, it? Oh, well, Gravity? the, uh, the Blu-ray yep. looks magnificent. It looks yep. unbelievably pristine. It is perfect. It is amazing. So uh, if you have a big screen... If you have a small screen, if you have a small screen, get a bigger screen. But if you have a big screen, you will enjoy watching Gravity. It's just not the same experience as it was in the theater. Wicked. Uh, our good buddy uh, Glenn Whip from the uh, L.A. Film Critics is quoted right here on the cover of Nebraska. One of those movies I'll watch for the rest of my life. I think he means that he will watch over and over as opposed to... Well, not continuously. Just put it on continuously until... <laughs> and just sit and watch it until he dies in front of the TV. <laughs> That'd be great. There's the horror. Glenn, no, you've got to pull yourself away. Not until I die. <laughs> Glenn's a really good guy. Uh, anyway, Nebraska is out on a Blu-ray, DVD, and digital HD, meaning ultraviolet combo set. And uh, Nebraska's just wonderful. It is just absolutely, truly wonderful. It is yet another road film from Alexander Payne, who didn't want to do this until he did The Descendants in between, because otherwise he would have done, what, three or four road films in a row, you know, right. about Schmidt and Sideways. And but he, what's interesting is, he, you know, he did not write this. No, he did not. That's right. He and really this took is, a chance on that. He did. He took a chance. And uh, a lot of it, you know, he's from Nebraska, Alexander is. Uh, I, as I've said on this show many times, dropping names, Alexander was a, a you know, graduate student at UCLA, a TA, in the uh, production end of things when I was an undergrad. Um, and... Um, you know, we, we talked John Reese, who was my TA. We interviewed here based on one of his films recently. And uh, the other class, Alexander was the TA for that class. And um, everybody loved him. He was, he was a star. But Nebraska is just a great film. I think Bruce Stern's going to win Best Actor. I think he deserves to. He will become the, become the oldest uh, Best Actor winner in history if he wins. You know that. By like 200 and some days older than Henry Fonda when he won for On Golden Pond. Really? Yep. Yes, sir. And what a great movie this is. It's just, it's, it's got all... Alexander Payne has never made a, a bad movie. Ever. Has he? Um, no. No. Not no. a bad film. Ones I've liked less than others. Sure. About Schmidt, whatever. Yeah, but he's never made a bad movie. No. And uh, 
I'm just amazed at all. I mean, there's so many things about this. That June Squibb. I know you're a huge fan of June Squibb. Come on, she's awesome. She's awesome. And uh, those two brothers just absolutely kill me with the stupid grins on their faces. <laughs> Although that was the only overtly comic <sighs> element but, but, of the but film. It, it needed them. Well, it, it needed, needed something. Them. Yeah, yeah. It needed them because they're just such a couple of yokels. You know, how long did it take you to get here? So funny. So great. Yeah. No, it's a really, really good movie. It, the film is good. You know what? 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 What I like about it is, is I, I love. I love how the the ends justify the means. Where at the end, when he takes his victory lap. Yep. It's so triumphant. It's such oh. a great little simple moment of a guy who's finally gets to, he finally gets to take his victory lap it's a great after seventy five years of of, of of you know it's a great of living a terrible life. It's just a wonderful moment. It really made everything that came before it totally worth. You know, Stacy Keach is wonderful. I mean, every single supporting performance here is. He was is, okay. Uh, what's his name? Saturday Night Live. He was okay. Will Forte. Yeah, yeah. he was okay. Yeah, could have done better, but he's fine. Perfectly, it's a good part for him. Perfectly anyway, uh, not a lot of extras here. They're you know making a featurette, and that's really all it needs, to be honest. I'm sure we'll get a special edition down the line with Alexander doing some kind of a really droll uh, commentary or something. But uh, really, really lovely. And uh, then two films real quickly before I, I let Mark talk to you about one of the most bizarre movies of the year, uh, which I have no opinion about. Uh, the Swan Princess, a royal family tale. This is a new Swan Princess uh, animated film. I'm surprised they're still trying to milk this like a franchise, but uh, Richard Rich, who did the original Swan Princess, uh, just will not let this go. He tried to launch a new animation company, gosh, like 20 years ago. And I remember there was a big deal at Cannes. We went to a, a huge launch party for the Swan Princess that had fireworks at the Lanapool Castle and a great big fantastic catered affair, and uh, it, they did not become the new Disney. But... By golly, they're still trying to push this, and this comes with a little foam crown for your daughter, which I guess I'll probably give to my daughter at some point um, if I'm not too creeped out by it. But, I mean, you know, it's, it's okay. The whole Swan Princess thing does not really lend itself to a franchise, but they're, you know, Richard Rich is a former Disney animator, much like Don Bluth, and he kind of brings those sensibilities with him. And then uh, Jaco van Dormel, the, uh, the amazing Belgian filmmaker who has not made a movie in a bajillion years, uh, who previously did uh, Toto the Hero, which is one of the great films of the past half century, if you've never seen it. Uh, Mr. Nobody, starring our very own Jared Leto, who I think delivers a better performance here than he does in Dallas Buyers Club. Well, he's going to win an Oscar in a couple of days. Yes, he is. But uh, in Dallas Buyers Club, he's a lot flashier. This is, you know what, there's almost... This is very much in the same vein as Toto the Hero, but it's a little more... Intense. It's about a guy who is 118 years old, and in the future, he is the very last mortal on the planet because the species has sort of made death obsolete or cured death in a sense. And um, much like Toto and Toto the Hero, who tells his story, and you see it in all these different inner, you know, intercut phases. You go forward and backward, and you're seeing his life in sort of three different phases, and you're skipping around in nonlinear fashion. Um, he sort of goes back about all of his, you know, it sort of revisits his life. And it's, uh, it's a really, really fascinating movie about choices and the future and the past. And uh, I got to tell you, this is the extended director's cut. It is longer by uh, a good bit. It's all, you know, about a little over two and a half hours long. Um, you, if you want to watch the shorter version, you can watch it here as well. I don't recommend it, but the uh, it, it's just really, really an intensely artistic endeavor, and I, I, one of the great underrated movies of the year. I think this people just missed the boat on this. 
really a great movie. You know, uh, wait, speaking of Missed the Boat, there are people who, who feel that uh, we have missed the boat on Ridley Scott's The Counselor. I, there, this movie, is, I have never seen a movie that's so divided people. I people mean, think that this is like the I, ultimate existential uh, I, treaties on blah, blah. I, I, right after the press screening, which I missed, uh, all of a sudden Facebook lit up with all of our colleagues, half of them saying, what a POS... And the others saying, this is the most underrated masterpiece of the year. It is Ridley Scott's best film ever. And I thought, are you, what, how did, what? How is this division of opinion possible? Ridley Scott is not that controversial of a guy. He's not Kubrick. No, but this, so, you, you know what it is? It's, it, it's not, what's controversial about it is not Ridley Scott. It is Cormac McCarthy. Now, Cormac McCarthy, who right. is the writer of The Road. Original Blood, script. This is an original script, not based on a novel. This is original yeah. screenplay. Yeah. And you can tell that Heath was going to lard this thing up with the most... Sarah Lawrence feeling, you know, philosophy, thesis, paper, treaties, Mm -hmm. dialogue in the service of a story where a lawyer, an unnamed lawyer known only as the counselor, played by Michael Fassbender, winds up involved in a drug deal. And, of course, his life is destroyed just by virtue of of just picking at the apple. He just takes a bite of the apple and then he just goes down the rabbit hole. Weird. And it's got a great cast, Brad Pitt, Javier Bardem, Cameron Diaz, miscast. Mm -hmm. Penelope Cruz is terrific. And obviously, everybody just wants to speak the words of Cormac McCarthy. Yeah. But in the end, the thing is just a it's just a mess. It's just a total mess. I just think that that uh, uh, somewhere in there, I think this might make a better novel because I think that uh, McCarthy can work out the themes better in, an, in novel form. I don't know that original script writing is really his thing. But, uh, yeah, The Counselor, I did not buy it at all. Um, I was confused. And Cameron Diaz is terrible in it. Actually, she's miscast. Uh, wow. So there you go. Looks good. Two discs. Uh, yes. No, no. There's no. a theatrical version and an, an unrated extended cut um, and a couple of featurettes that aren't that great. Wow. Well, I, you know what? I'm, I'm going to give it a shot. I, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just intrigued by all the people that we know who love the thing and who hate the thing. It just, I find it so absolutely bizarre. Never seen anything like that in my life. Oh, uh, wait. Let me tell you something. Yeah. Um, now, I have a Mexican girlfriend, mm-hmm. at least for now. Yeah. And I have to say that I do not like 80% of all music that comes out of Mexico. Except for the I music that, that, you know, they caught El Chapo. That, I uh, know. Yeah, right? That's a big deal. Yeah. But he'll be replaced by El Guapo and El Flippo, and it'll, all just, it'll just be like this nonstop thing. I mean, it's like, I know. you know, like, you know, like, like, like dur- during the, war, the initial war on terror where they would yeah. say, they would say, the number three leader of Al Qaeda has been captured. Well, you know what? There's going to be a new number three leader in about I five know. seconds. I know. So just stop trumpeting that stuff because it's all smoke and mirrors. Yeah. Anyway, um, Narco Corridos is a, is a Mexican, I guess, thing. There's, yeah. the, there's songs about drug traffickers and drug lords and these songs, they glorify violence. Right. And I don't even like that uh, music from that area anyway, let alone this horrible music that does nothing but glorify terrible, terrible murderers and killers. Um. And by the way, I don't like gangster rap either. Gangster rap, you remember gangster rap in the nineties? Yeah. That, that oh, stuff yeah. was terrible as oh, well. Yeah. It was reprehensible. Um, Narco Cultura is a fascinating look at this sort of music. Uh, you know, I mean, it made me very angry, but uh, then again, I guess that means it's a good film. Yep. So Narco Cultura, check it out. Documentary. All right. And then uh, blown through some other docs here really quickly. Um, three of the five nominated Academy Award documentaries, uh, which uh, 
I have very mixed feelings about uh, the one that I, you know, I, I know everybody thinks the time for killing deserves to win. I have small, I love that film. Small reservations about it. I think I'd be I fine. know you do. I'd be fine if it won, despite my persnickety uh, year of living dangerously issues. But I still think the square stands a very, very good chance of winning. The other three films, by the way, uh, are these three. Uh, 20 Feet from Stardom, which is, you know, a perfectly serviceable... That's what I think. It's just... I think it's very nice. It's, it's really a, nice. It's a very nice ode to... Uh, backup singers. Uh, underappreciated backup yeah, singers. Yeah, it the is. End. It's great. That's it. It's, it's not... Very nice. It's, That's it. It's just... It, it's moving and inspiring. It's just not groundbreaking, but it's it's got great songs and great performances in it. And a lot of, you know, you get like Bruce Springsteen and Bette Midler and Mick Jagger and Stevie Wonder and Sting and all these people who, who you know, get on camera and talk about how, they're, how great their backup singers are. And it's, it's very nice. And it's on Blu-ray and the audio is fantastic. Uh, Cutie and the Boxer is also on Blu-ray. This film absolutely annoys the crap out of me. I, 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 can't. I, I don't like them. I want to I uh, uh, hit them both in the face. I did too. It's a, it's a good fit. It's a well-made film by Zachary uh, Heinzerling. But the subject... Uh, and his wife it just make you want to just punch them. Um, it, it's just Ushio Shinohara is this this um, artist who basically takes you know uh, punching boxing gloves with that have foam on them and he dips them in in paint and he punches splotches on canvas and people like pay money to buy these these damn things and his wife wants to become an artist and she has she for their whole life together she's done this cartoon that is basically venting the inequality of their marriage and all of her issues with him and he's this misogynistic dork and they never make enough money and it just it's really irritating two really irritating uh, Japanese artist people who who seem to love each other for some ungodly reason and I just wanted to kill them both they're just awful but it's a well-made film and then Dirty Wars uh, is, is essentially based on a book, um, uh, but it's it, it, in this case it becomes much more journalistic, and um, it is a look inside the nasty part of the War on Terror. And uh, Jeremy Scahill, who uh, wrote the the big uh, expose on Blackwater, here goes into the uh, what's known as the Joint Special Operations Command, and he uh it's all of this super super black ops covert stuff that he um he and uh, Richard Rowley who's the filmmaker here they just uh, kind of tear this thing open like a festering wound and it's really really disturbing and there's nothing partisan about this this isn't like an oh you know this party is evil or this party is evil movie this is like the, every the, the just it, it's really disturbing you got to check it out so this uh, this could be a dark horse in the category. I think this stands a slim chance of actually winning. Wait, do you, do you know what should win? Huh? Rewind this. Oh my god! It's awesome. Rewind this is a documentary about uh, VHS. Mm. You know, in the eighties, believe it or not, it's hard to believe. Yep. But in the eighties, you could not own a film. You saw it in the theaters. I if know. you're lucky, you caught it on TV. The end. I remember those days. And then suddenly there was a thing called VHS. And yeah. You actually buy movies or rent them. Yeah. Now, do you remember uh, what was the name of the rental store in Westwood? Video Tech? I think it was called Video Tech. Oh, was, my God. It was like yes. the very first video rental st- yeah, yeah. store in at least my area. Yeah. And it was like 100 bucks a year to yeah. join. Right. Membership at a video rental store it was like 100 bucks a year. I know. It was a big deal. Those were weird days. You know, and Rewind This is just a terrific look back at that time. It includes uh, interviews with Lloyd Kaufman and Adam McGoyan. And uh, I just think this thing is a lot of fun. And it's not condescending. And it doesn't make fun of geeks or nerds who would rent these films and collect them. Uh, it's just a great little uh, tribute to them. And wait, do you remember the first film you ever rented? Because I remember the first film I ever rented. 
The Ooh. first VHS I ever rented. I do. No, you don't. I do. You're just actually. saying that. You no, really don't. I do. I can tell you the first one I ever rented because I noted it in my head. Go ahead and tell Star me. Wars. Really? Yes. Big deal when it came out on VHS. And my actually, and our, our VHS, VHS machine was so old. Yeah. I mean, this is like 1980, whatever, that the remote control was corded. There you was know, a cord. You know the first one I ever rented? Uh, Star Wars. Out of Africa. Oh, God. Yeah. That's true. Lame. Out of Africa. Lame. Sure was. Lame. Yes, indeedy, dee do. A bunch of other really, really interesting docs that are worth talking about. One is A Fall from Freedom, which is kind of like a kinder, gentler, lighter version of Blackfish. It doesn't punch you in the face like Blackfish. It's narrated by uh, Mike Farrell, but it's pretty much the same kind of thing. It's saying uh, dolphins and orcas are people, too, and uh, here are all the horrible people who exploit them. Um, you know, fight them with your economic power. And that's, that's about it. It's, uh, it's 80 minutes long. It's a lovely, well-meaning, very on-the-nose on, on um, advocacy documentary. But um, Fall from Freedom is, is uh, worth checking out if you, if you love, uh, you know, orcas and dolphins and uh, cetaceans and you, you don't want that whole sea world thing to continue to exploit them. Uh, what I think the best documentary of the year is, and should have been nominated, is Muscle Shoals. This is on D- uh, Blu-ray and DVD from Magnolia, but the Blu-ray is what you want. i, I got to tell you, Muscle Shoals is one of the handful of documentaries I've ever seen where I felt like I was watching a drama unfolding that was just as riveting as a, real, as a regular movie. This is an incredible film, an incredible film. Do you know the story of Muscle Shoals? Tell it. Oh, my gosh. Basically, a lot of the songs, a lot of the great music that I always thought was just Motown was not Motown, was not recorded anywhere near Detroit, and it was not recorded with black musicians. Even though, you, you know, you have like Wilson Pickett and a lot of these great, you know, uh, R&B voices, this was recorded in the Deep South, in Alabama, with white musicians, just nerdy white musicians who had more soul than you could possibly believe in, in a place where racism was once endemic, and uh, in a recording studio called the Fame Studios that is home to some of the greatest music ever recorded. And this is a drama that you cannot believe because it's not just about all the great people who came out of here, which includes, you know, Greg Allman and on and on and on and on. I mean, it's just amazing. I mean, you know, the Stones recorded here. Bono is all over this thing talking about the, the Muscle Shoals sound. But there's a drama that takes place between the guy who founded Fame and some of the musicians that he brought in. And it becomes this thing, and there are these twists and turns, and it's just, it's magnificent. It is incredible. Even if you don't like docs, you've got to watch Muscle Shoals. Incredible film. Uh, also really interesting is The Armstrong Lie, which uh, was originally supposed to be just a documentary about uh, Lance Armstrong, but Alex Gibney, of course, is one of our great documentarians, and in, you know, at a certain point when uh, everything came collapsing and the whole fraud just exploded, and I was one of those Lance Armstrong champions. I was one of those guys that was like, get, get off the man, he's passed a million drug tests. I'll tell you, this is just great, great stuff. Uh, Gibney really lays it out there, and it's, it's just extraordinary that he had all this material shot prior to the revelation, prior to the confession, and it makes for a really good film. And I'm kind of shocked that this didn't get a nomination either, but it's out there on Blu-ray, looks fantastic, really nicely done, bravo to, to Gibney and to Sony Classics. Uh, includes a great commentary with Gib- Gibney as well as a Q&A with him and uh, a, bunch of, a bunch of his collaborators, including Frank Marshall and some deleted scenes, which are so-so. 
Oh, hi, Wade. Hey. Uh, Michael Apted is uh, known for films like Coal Miner's Daughter. He also directed a, a Bond film. But really, he's, I think, at heart a documentarian. Yep. He did the 7-Up series, which, of course, is, uh, I mean, Mount Rushmore in terms of uh, experimental documentary making, in a sense. And uh, now he's got this two-banger uh, that has been packaged in a Blu-ray a DVD combo called The Nature of Genius. This is um, Apted directing uh, two films, Inspirations and Me and Isaac Newton. And, uh, yeah, it's all about um, scientific and artistic uh, endeavors and the people. One film is obviously about how people are inspired, including David Bowie and Roy Lichtenstein. And glad there's a glass sculptor there. There's a choreographer there. There's a dancer, an architect, and a poet. And just what inspires them. The other, uh, me and Isaac Newton, uh, explores the scientific endeavors and how these pharmacists and environmentalists and roboticists are very creative in how they go about their work and and you know and they Apton's the man huh? he just, he, he's, he's just such an interesting filmmaker anyways good stuff um, good old Frida now I watched good old Frida and I like good old Frida it's cute now the Beatles had a secretary whose name was Frida Kelly and she was pretty much the only person to stay with them for the entire run of the band uh, and actually a little bit more because uh, she was with them a little bit before uh, they they became the Beatles like in, the, like in 1960 and a little bit after they broke up she was always there and she's got great stories about John, Paul, George and uh, Steve John, Paul, George and Steve yeah you're paying attention <laughs> nice, stuff. Steve anyways very Rico's it, real name is Steve yes anyway it's very cute good old Frida is very cute uh, she's still around it, the movie includes a lengthy interview with her as, as, as well as other musicians and her friends and whatnot, so it's it's good stuff. It's really cute. You know, if if you think you know everything, you, if if you think you know everything about the Beatles, if you watch this documentary, you will get you will get an angle of this from a very unlikely source, their secretary. So mm. I think it's great, very cute. If you're Beatles uh, completist, you got to go ahead and check out Good Old Freedom. Nice. Uh, the Summit is on uh, we have the DVD I don't know if this is on Blu-ray at all but it's we, not it's, it's not, not. they no. just sent us the um, yeah the DVD so this is about um, 18 mountain climbers who wanted to try to reach uh, the top of K2 the second highest mountain in the world um, and it was a pretty disastrous trip and this disastrous trip is grippingly conveyed in the summit mm. uh, it is really good stuff it's beautifully shot and very well told and very dramatic and totally tragic so if you're into like um, what's that like into thin air those sort of like disaster yeah, yeah. mountain snowy mountain disaster movies yeah. the summit is just great you know what the furthest point is from the center of the earth uh, my crotch Boy, that I, I did not don't, expect. Don't we have that like answer. a box box or mail or something? We, yeah, something? we we've had some box boxes sent in. We'll have we'll we'll do the first one next week. We'll do the first one next okay. week. First of okay. new, new box box. Okay. Uh, no, the furthest furthest point from the center of the Earth is actually a relatively short mountain, and not short, but it's like twenty thousand feet in uh, in Ecuador. I think it is. It's just uh, mountain in Ecuador because the Earth is an oblate spheroid. So it's the center. It's around the the equator where you get the furthest from the center, even though the mountains aren't as high. You see, because the like, why would you know that? I, I, I spend my time reading encyclopedias. Uh, Lynn Sanity is uh, a Sundance doc. That's it's okay. It's fine. It it tries to you know praise Jeremy Lynn, undrafted, unwanted, unwavering. The true story of Jeremy Lynn. If if you follow basketball, you know that Jeremy Lynn was you know he 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 was like this guy who just had. He was, even though he was good in college, he was undrafted in the NBA, apparently because of some bias that, you know, like if you're Asian and you play basketball, you damn well better be a seven-foot Chinese guy as opposed to, you know, an American Asian who, uh, why, aren't you, why aren't you out there uh, doing math and uh, becoming a doctor, right? That's the whole thing. American Asians don't become athletes. 
Anyway, um, and it's about how he, that amazing season where he just came up from the end of the bench and became this sensation for the New York Knicks and uh, was just, you know, having one amazing game after another. And he's, of course, not with the Knicks anymore, but he may wind up being with Brooklyn. Are they going to trade him? Uh, he's with the Rockets now, right? Isn't that... Uh, basically, his career... I know. It's sort of... That's the thing. That's what makes, that's what makes this documentary a little bit anticlimactic is because the, the Linsanity thing kind of evaporated. But it's, it's an okay film. It's fine. It's, you know, it, the story has not yet, yet been finished. The third act is not yet in stone. Uh, our Nixon is uh, basically a collection of 8mm uh, home movies that some of Nixon's White House aides shot during his presidency, just for the hell of it, and it now makes its way into uh, an interesting documentary that doesn't quite hang together, it's sort of more novelty than it is, uh, con- you know, it doesn't, it's not like it comes to, it doesn't reveal anything, you don't go, oh my gosh, why, why didn't we have that footage, it's not like Zapruder film footage or anything, it's just... It's interesting. It gives you a different side of Nixon and an insight into things that wouldn't normally have been recorded in that time, even though today everybody's got a cell phone and everything's on video now. Just ask Alec Baldwin. I'll oh, tell my you. God. Did you read his, uh, his thing? But his, you know what's rant? funny is that, you know, that that was not written. That's like as told to somebody. No, he wrote it. Really? He, yeah, he in, wrote that. It's, it, look, in the New York Magazine, it says as told to John Smith, whatever his name is. Really? Yeah, as, check as it told out. To? You, yes, I, it says as told to. That's interesting because it's rambling. It's grammat- It's got grammatical errors all over because it. Because he's it, not really writing and he's, he's, just he's saying it. Yeah, it's a rant. It's a ramble. It's unfocused. It's too long by uh, at least a third. Uh, but I got to tell you, it is just, it is, it's, it's soul bearing. And it's just him being just raw and honest. And I appreciate everything that he says. I really do. I do. But in the end, he's going to wind up, uh, you know, being... Hitting another paparazzi, being back in the news, doing Letterman. It's, it's, yeah. it's nothing. It's all empty. He's, hey, just, he's lashing out, and in the end, he'll do the same thing he's always done. I was thoroughly entertained by it, and I agree with almost everything he said. Oh, so was I. Yeah. Anyway, McConkie is an, is an okay documentary uh, about a guy who needed to have his head examined. Um, Shane McConkie was one of these extreme skiers, you know, these guys who uh, they're not content just to go skiing they ha- and, and to go hot dogging. He had to, like, combine it with base jumping. Like, I'm going to ski off the top of a cliff and then I'm going to pull a parachute. Or I'm going to ski off a cliff and then I'm going to put out my little Rocky and Bullwinkle flying squirrel wings and, and coast down and just crazy stuff. And um, it, it's pretty obvious at the beginning when you consider the fact that everyone who's talking is not Shane McConkie and they're all talking about Shane Waz. It's pretty obvious that he died doing something stupid and we're eventually going to get to the point where he dies. And it's gut-wrenching, especially because he leaves a little daughter without a dad. And uh, there's really no point to it other than this guy was a balls-out daredevil who killed himself doing uh, what he loved. And he left a widow and a, and, a, and a little girl without a dad. And that's really upsetting to me. But it's, uh, other than that, there's really no point to it, but it's got a lot of really cool footage of him doing crazy stuff. And then last on the documentary list um, is Pussy Riot, A Punk Prayer, which is uh, also a documentary that has not yet seen its third act written because two of the pussy... I mean, they released the one girl and then two of the others recently got arrested again during the Sochi Olympics for, through... You know, they were intimidated by some of the secret police. It's nice to know that Russia is, uh, is such a free place it's changed. Um, anyway, this is a, basically a story of their protest in the church that created all the problems and uh, led to all of the, the, the hellacious uh, fallout that's come in the, in the wake of that. Uh, interesting doc, but again, uh, there is a, there's a lot more to be written in this story still. So uh, we have not reached the end of that one yet. And then, uh, real quickly, Mark, we've got um, 
couple of foreign language films we should we should make mention of really quickly. Obviously, Breathless, Godard's masterpiece, is out in a Blu-ray DVD combo set from Criterion. Uh, Breathless has been out before, of course, and uh, it it just it, it's one of the great French New Wave films of all time. Uh, one of the two films that, that launched the new wave in 1960, the other, of course, being The 400 Blows by Truffaut. And uh, this is loaded up with all of the extras that have previously been on the, uh, on the previous releases, which includes tons and tons of archival interviews and video essays and uh, French documentary footage. And uh, there's even a short film here from 1959 that Godard made with Belmondo the year before he did Breathless. And uh, it's just absolutely gorgeous. Uh, first rate, I, I'm not as much a fan of the film as a lot of people are. I'm more a 400 blows kind of person. But, you know, what? the cool thing about Breathless is that you watch a lot of this footage and you see the people on the street looking at the camera. Because they just went out guerrilla style. They're just shooting on the street and people are like, who are these people? And they don't, even get, they don't care. It, so it doesn't matter. They fully break the fourth wall. And uh, it's pretty awesome. And then lastly, uh, Lost in Thailand is the highest grossing film in the history of China. And it does not bode well for American films because this is not an art film. This is a goofy, wacky, stupid comedy that I just don't get. Um, but it, it, you know what? This thing was made for next to no money. It is a, it is a crazy fish-out-of-water uh, kind of... Um, it's almost like The Hangover, I guess, is a, probably the best analogy to it. But it's, it's, a, it's basically a fish-out-of-water, what's happened to us, we've uh, we got to get out of this place uh, kind of comedy. And uh, I guess if you're Chinese, it's going to make a lot of sense. But for me, it was like, wow, this, if this is the highest-grossing film in the history of China, Hollywood cannot compete. They're going to be making these kinds of movies, and it's going to become like India. So that said, Lost in Thailand. There it is. And with that, Mark, we are done. We're done. We're done. We'll see you guys next week. <laughs>